very thankful to be here again. Appreciate the opportunity to be with you, brethren. I am from the Brown Trail School of Preaching, though you may recognize my face a little bit and not recognize that uh, location. In my first year, I had been for several years at the Granbury Street Church of Christ in Cleburne, Texas, and so I only took over at Brown Trail in October. And we are thankful that you're helping us with our student coming up, and we pray that that will go well and that you will be benefited by it as well in your relationship uh, with us. And truly, we are appreciative of those who make our work possible. In Luke 23, verse 34, Luke records our Savior on the cross saying, Father, Forgive them, for they do not know what they do. In the midst of torture, Jesus looked out at his torturers. While being accused, he looked out at his accusers. While being persecuted, he looked out at his persecutors. And he had forgiveness on his heart. People today often say something like, forgiveness is for the one who forgives, not for the one forgiven. And when they say that, honestly, I believe they cheapen it. I know what they mean. But sometimes they act like forgiving one another is as easy as it comes. Or that it is simple, cheap, and there's a few words waved like a wand. And they're often approaching forgiveness from a good place. That is the responsibility of having this forgiving attitude. And that's proper. But sometimes they do this by forgetting the spiritual responsibility toward those in sin. And when they do that, they're forgetting the natural tension that exists there. How do you deal with somebody? How do you act toward people when sin has been involved in some way? Balancing both is the key. And that is what makes forgiving others a real challenge. For us to think about. It's rarely easy. To appreciate that, you need to just consider your own background, situation, interaction with others. And not to drudge up painful memories, but someone who has wronged you very personally. That person needs to become the context of how we think about the subject this evening. When we're talking about forgiveness, we're talking about something that requires depth, spirituality, and a biblical process. And that means it requires humility, it requires character, and as we've seen, it requires a love that imitates Christ. Now just how difficult it shows up regularly, we need to consider how many people want to avoid this responsibility completely? You take somebody who has sinned against the congregation, but after some time comes forward repenting. And we have a prayer, but not everyone is so comfortable with this shuns, 
ignores. If they speak, it's just out of formality. They haven't let it go. You have members of congregations that won't speak to one another over something that happened years ago, and sometimes they can't even remember what it was. Or there's been a process, a lot of hurt feelings, grudges over the years, and it seems like some people just don't want to do what it takes to seek forgiveness. All of these problems hurt the body of Christ. And unfortunately, we rarely work at correcting these kinds of problems. We will mention doctrinal issues and fending off error. And yet you realize we can still be found very lacking because we won't deal with difficulties within. And I don't know why we decided somewhere that it was okay to address all the problems outside our congregation where we never address the ones going on inside. Congregation after congregation has been torn apart in something that began with something as simple, you would think, as failing to forgive. So, brethren, if the church is to be united as God desires, we must learn what it means to forgive one another. In Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 15, which will be our text for this evening, we find the Apostle Paul discussing the type of interaction that is essential for people who are new Christians, or I should say new people because they are Christians. He has addressed the fact of how they became Christians in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 12, when it says that they were buried with baptism with him. But he had talked about how the foundation for all this in chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, was found as, as you therefore receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith as you've been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. So following Christ in everything was essential. You did that when you were buried in baptism and you became a Christian. And therefore you shouldn't fall back into other kind of ideas, those errors we're talking about, and falling into false beliefs. That's the rest of chapter 2. But then he says in chapter 3, If you then be risen with Christ, you become a Christian. Seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. The way in which you think, the attitude you have, the priorities you place upon life, these are going to affect you moving forward because your life should be, it says, in Christ, verse 4. But that requires something of us because he says then in verse 5, you are to mortify or put to death your members upon the earth. He then gives a list of those kind of things that we are to rid ourselves of. And we look at that list and we say, absolutely, we need to get rid of fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. Why? Because God's going to judge them. That's verse 7, 6 and 7. And then in verse 8, he goes into a different list. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. He talks about these kind of internal issues that we tend to have. 
And after dealing then with the obvious to the internal, beginning in chapter 3, verse 12, he starts talking about those that are relational. And he writes this. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But of all, above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. As we consider then the nature of this text, we're going to discuss a number of things it takes to learn what it means to forgive one another. But I want you to remember that there are two aspects of forgiveness. There are the aspect of the attitude that makes it possible, and then the actual requirements to send it away. And all have responsibilities in these ways. And that begins then with verse 12, because you must be ready and willing to forgive. And that's the key to recognizing why he includes all of these characteristics. Now look at them independently. Independently, these are just good characteristics. But notice, as the elect of God, this is context. Who are you? Holy and beloved. What do we need? Put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, Meekness, long-suffering. In Matthew 18, 21 through 22, it is there that we find Matthew's account of where Peter asks the question of whether, how often must he forgive? Seven times? Lord says, 70 times seven. What did he say? You're putting a limit on your forgiveness. You're putting a limit on how often and how much you will extend forgiveness. You shouldn't do that, Peter. You must be ready and willing to forgive. You see, the, once you cap the idea beyond what God says of anything toward what you, what you expect of someone else, you just did something outside of God's authority as much as we'd put a piano up here. When we start requiring something additionally for forgiveness and for my attitude, I'm behaving, I'm going beyond God's word, I'm telling God... I have more requirements than what you have. Forgiveness is expected of God's people because God's people are supposed to be different. And we might say because they're forgiven. Why could we as a forgiven people not be a forgiving people? How could that possibly be? In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, it says, Ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. When he starts off and says, As the elect of God, you have a special place before God, you belong to him, and therefore, implication, you ought to behave like him. Many are called, but few are chosen, Matthew chapter 22, verse 14 says. 
Because we ought to be holy, notice again. And that means we're distinct, set apart, and that is different from all the old attitudes, the old man that we used to have. Those should have been put away. Be ye holy because I am holy, saith the Lord. That's referring to verses 5 through 11. That old stuff, that should have been gone. And then he says, you've been loved by God because you're beloved. So now put a context of who you are and whether you should be a forgiving people. You now belong to God. How? You've been set apart to God and from a former life. How? You are beloved. Why? All of these come down to the fact you've been forgiven. And if we cannot put that context of our own forgiveness around how we act toward others, then we have missed an essential element of our identity. And that's why we need to then follow what he says here and clothe ourselves with a forgiving heart. In Genesis 23, verses 26 and 27, it says, For you are all children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ, been clothed. Now notice what he wants us to be clothed on. Put on, it's that same term. Clothe yourself with these things. Tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering. What do these mean? Tender mercies. Now, this is actually two different words that are put together in New King James. It means deep feelings of tender mercies. The King James renders it bowels of mercies, I think. That's really good. It says, from the deepest part of you, you should care. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 1. Instead of desiring to injure one another, whether through speech or action... You should be kind. And that is make yourself useful. Do things that benefit others. Now put this in the context of forgiving. How much do you really care? Are you willing to be kind and do what other people need? Not just what makes you feel good. Humility. Now we're back to realizing my own faults, my own imperfections, and the fact I need forgiveness too. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Meekness. Here we find the word, not often translated actually in the New King James, but properly here, meekness. It means essentially this. Don't be so concerned with you and your needs that you forget about others and especially about God. Meekness means you're lost and you're caught up in something more important than you. You know what keeps people from forgiving? They're all about them. You get caught up in how I feel about this or why my feelings got hurt or that this isn't right by me and we get all the things like that and we forget about all the other things about how it affects the church, about how it affects that person. I'm worried about getting justice and I fall forgotten about how much I need mercy. Then he says this last word, long-suffering. 
Word means long-fused. Don't be quick to write somebody off, reach out to hurt, or call an end to their opportunities. Now, do you see how you need all of these if you're going to become forgiving? And that when you fail to forgive, one of these at least is missing. And that's why in verse 14, he says, but above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. He comes back and says, put on again. And he's kind of tying these things off. Put on these things and put on love at the end. Why? Because all of these are demonstrations of love. Love is what knits all of these together into one general thing, doing what's best for somebody else and having a mindset that is seeking to reestablish a relationship lost because that's what matters to me. We get ourselves into trouble because relationships stop mattering. And in the church, we essentially want to call for a quick divorce from brethren. Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4, talks about in verse 3 the kind of things we don't need to have. And that is this selfish attitude, conceit. But instead, verse 4, he says, But look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. When we are responding to people in need for their needs and in relationship for the benefit of having a relationship, all within the body of Christ, according to the standards of God's word, now we're applying love properly. It's having true love that ensures our attitude will be correct. Because love is what binds all these things together into completeness and maturity. Now, second of all, We've got to have more than just the attitude. We all must forgive because we all need forgiveness. We consider verse 13 now. Bearing with one another and forgiving one another, if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. Really, there are three things going on here and then an appeal to Christ. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 12 through 15, it's important as Jesus has talked about this model prayer when he was in the Sermon on the Mount. And one of the key things is forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. But here he puts together three aspects that are important of what we have trouble letting go of. Brethren, you're going to have to bear with one another. Word forbear is actually very good. But I'm going to put it down in what really it, it could mean. Sometimes we just need to learn to tolerate one another. In the proper biblical sense. And that is you hold up under one another, even though sister so-and-so may be a burden to you, then carry it well. Because not everything everyone does is sin. Not everything that causes a problem is necessarily something that deserves to be made a big deal of. And that's what this word's talking about. 
bear with one another. It's talking about when you have a personality conflict with somebody. You just can't get along because you won't work with one another long enough to figure out where your common ground is in Christ. And he's saying that's wrong. You bear with one another. You ever have to to really feel like you have to tolerate? Just You have to put up, we'd say you have to put up with him. You ever have someone, okay, don't raise your hand because I'm just going to assume it's so. Now ask yourself this other question. Has anybody ever had to put up with you? Bearing with one another. Right there. The one another's important. It means we're all on both sides of this. And the church will not survive until we acknowledge that we are on both sides of it. And that the proper attitude is we're going to have to learn to deal with difficult people and that different people are difficult to different people. We have faults. Some people like to talk a lot. I have a good friend, and you have to add it this way, bless his heart, right? You bless his little heart. He loves to talk. And I've been his friend for go uh, over 25 years, going to 30 years. Now, what's our friendship like for someone that really likes to talk? Well, I'm talking on the phone with him. There's sometimes I just cut in and I say, hey, my turn. Well, how do I do that? Because it has already been established that I care about him and I don't, and he knows his issue. Sometimes my wife has to put up with me. Come home tired. Maybe I've had a bad day. And maybe I'm a little bit short with her when it has nothing to do with her. And I don't really mean anything by it. I'm just tired of having to deal with problems and I'm trying to get whatever she says taken care of as quickly as possible. She has to put up with me. You know, we will put up with people at work like that. A lot of times give them a whole lot of more space than we will our spouse or our brethren. And that's wrong. But then we get to the heart of this when he says, and forgiving one another. Now, I want to alert you to something you're not going to ever realize unless someone says it to you. There are two words in the New Testament in Greek that are translated forgive. And that's very confusing. Because sometimes people will say, well, the Bible says you forgive without anything at all, not requiring anything at all of anybody else. You just need to forgive. And then on the other hand, people will say, no, the Bible says in in Luke 17 verse 3 that the person has to repent. And then you can forgive them. Both are correct. But they're different words. The problem is, is the person who says, but it says to forgive regardless, that person wants to act like the person's never, send it away and act like, no, the person's never done anything wrong. The other person wants to sit there waiting with knife in hand because the other person hasn't repented, ready to just kind of take care of things when the final bell is rung. 
And it's both are wrong because they both don't acknowledge the other. This word means to act graciously towards, favorably towards. And it is in no way conditioned upon what the other person does at all, brethren. This is to be true and to be obeyed whether the other person ever repents at all. Now that's different from saying it's okay, they're fine. No, they're not fine because they haven't done what God requires them and that's sad. But this isn't about them. Right now, this is about you. Do you have the attitude that will even allow them to have a relationship when they do repent. This is what it takes. You see, we are responsible for creating an environment where their repentance is welcomed, their presence upon repentance is a joyful thing, that their return would be something wonderful. And short of that, we have failed to be a forgiving people. Be free with the favor you show others. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 32 is our companion passage to this. Be kind one to another with tender hearts, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. You act graciously toward people who need forgiveness. This word means favor. And it is related to that same idea of God showing grace. So to the same way in which God showed grace to us, we are to show grace to others. And did God wait for you to repent to show grace? Or did you repent because he gave you an opportunity because he showed grace? Which was it? We don't ever want to think that maybe the one thing that could be holding people back from getting their lives right is my attitude giving them an opportunity. That means we have a responsibility to create an environment favorable toward their doing the right thing. I didn't say we can ever make them do the right thing, but we are accountable for the environment we create. That's all we can do to restore the right relationship. You know why that's hard? Because we've been hurt. And when we're hurt, we act like we're hurt. And we forget to act graciously. And then he gives an example of this kind of thing when he says, if anyone has a complaint against another, Aren't you thankful that you're in a congregation where no one ever complains about anything? Speaking of which, isn't it warm in here? I'm sorry. I've never been in a congregation yet where we didn't have a fight over the temperature. Listen to complaints of others with an ear toward helping them rather than defending yourself. That doesn't mean that they're going to be right It means that you are 
patient, long-suffering, humble, meek, kind, caring as the elect of God who are holy and beloved. So then we look at verse 13. Forgive as Christ forgave you. Have a heart that does everything in your power to encourage repentance and restoration. Even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. And that word again is act graciously towards. So now let's put it through in life. How many different ways did you see in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John of Jesus acting graciously, favorably toward mankind for our benefit and forgiveness? Every step he took, every word he said, everything he did not do, It is true that forgiveness is based upon repentance. Luke 17, verse 3, this is clear. This is when it can be sent away. God cannot send away a sin that's unrepented because of his holiness. And therefore, in the sense of sending it away to no longer remember anymore, remember, that's, that depends upon repentance. Luke 13, verse 3. But God created the possibility of forgiveness through his graciousness. And so should we. Listen to Romans 5 verse 8 as the model. But God commends his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. How much grace did God show? When we were the worst of the worst, he was still the best of the best. And that's our model for acting graciously toward others. When we have our set, our hearts set, doing right, like the father of the prodigal son, and this is the purpose of that parable, by the way, when we do that, we will hope for, wait for, long for repentance so much that our forgiving attitude will welcome home that one seeking forgiveness with joy and anticipation rather than regret and resentment. Regret and resentment is what you see from the elder brother. Unwilling to let go, unwilling to forgive, unwilling to see past himself. When we forgive as God forgives, as Christ forgives, it means we forgive completely. We don't forgive in parts. We forgive completely. And that means once forgiven, these things should never resurface. If we're using God's word as a standard, and someone makes themselves right according to God's word, then let's wipe it off. Now that doesn't mean that there aren't consequences. Don't get me wrong here. If you end up with somebody who has some kind of criminal history, there are consequences to that for the safety of everyone involved should it be some kind of violent crime, sexual crime. But forgiveness needs to be complete. 
without it being brought up because that's how God forgives, Hebrews chapter 8, verse 12. And that means we don't have a right to put conditions on someone's forgiveness other, beyond what God does. If they're willing to do what it takes to be right with God, then they ought to be right with us. You see, someone being right with God ought to be the main thing we want. If we're like God and we want to forgive as Christ forgave, it means we forgive immediately. Now, there may be a time period, for example, of where it's wise, where that person forgiven, again, there may be consequences. Someone that has been away for some time, is, that doesn't mean immediately they should be leading singing the next week. Why? Because the standards for leading in worship, 1 Timothy chapter 2, are higher than just being forgiven and faithful even. But the forgiveness doesn't have a probation period. There's forgiveness. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 7, Paul was writing back. Remember, he told them to withdraw from this brother who was, who was causing such a problem, who had taken his father's wife. He told them in 1 Corinthians 5, they needed not to show, be all puffed up about it, but do something about it. And they did. They listened to him. So much so that he had to write in 2 Corinthians to tell them, because he had repented, hey, forgive him. Get right. You don't need to wait on me. He's, he made himself right. Now you treat him that way. So don't hold him at arm's length. You do what you need to do. But if he's made everything right, treat him like he has. Move forward and be mended. Don't wait. We, that's where we really do hurt the church. In 2 Corinthians 13, verse 11, one of the beautiful phrases when it says uh, of being restored, that word means mending as in mending your nets. Put your nets back together. Fix the holes in the body of Christ. I want you to think about that imagery of how often we will sit back there and, and just say, well, it's going to happen again. And it might. Remember what, what Jesus told Peter? 70 times 7? 7. Separate the idea of forgiveness and the consequences. Let there be consequences when necessary, but not because you're sitting out there holding them over someone's head. And forgive. And a Another aspect of this that's so vital, if we're going to forgive as Christ forgave, forgive all. 1 Timothy 1, verse 15, Paul called himself the chiefest of sinners. He was one who persecuted the church, held the coats of those who stoned Stephen. I want you to think about this in two different ways when I say forgive all. You have to be willing to forgive all sins. Now that's a tough one. How do you act graciously towards someone who has treated you horribly? What kind of heart does it take to act graciously towards someone who took the life of a family member? 
What kind of heart does it take to forgive somebody who raped you? Hurt your kids? It takes the heart of God. All sins. In 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 and 10, there's a list of sins of which the Corinthians were guilty in their past, and they'd put in their past. Two different categories of homosexual are included in that list, along with fornication and adultery. There are a whole list of sins that we just sometimes would put on there and say, don't bother with people, that God says, let's forgive them. When they repent, they come and they obey. All sins. If your mate sins against you horribly, that can be forgiven. There may be consequences. It can be forgiven. If there's repentance, it must but now let's look at it from another part, and that is when it says forgive all, because that's how God forgives, it means forgive all people without discrimination. James 2, verse 1, my, my brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, Lord of glory, says, with partiality, respect of persons, that is, beholding the face. I, and that can mean a lot of things. It could mean I like the looks of you or don't like the looks of you. It can mean, well, let me check out this situation here, whether or not it's favorable to me. He says, none of those individual things are what matter here. And when you think about yourself, that God was willing to offer forgiveness to you, you need to realize it's because he offers forgiveness to everyone. And so should you. And that means the person who wronged you. It means that person who lied about you, gossiped about you. It means the people that caused you problems 20 years ago. The people who ruined your life, quote unquote. All people. A lot of times it also means this. Remember when the con- we're in the context of a congregation? Brethren, we shouldn't be a people who will forgive someone that's a friend and we won't forgive someone else in the congregation because we're not as close to them. That's partiality too. That's politics. Needs to be put away. Fourthly, then, we see the purpose and the product of forgiveness in verse 15. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. I want to draw your attention now to the main words peace. 
one thankful. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 2 and 3 give, again, these attitudes that are necessary for unity. We sometimes rush into verses 4 through 6 about the, the doctrines of unity, and we go ahead of the attitudes. With all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Does that sound familiar to our text? Desire peace in the congregation. I don't mean really desire it. Sometimes our view of desiring peace is, that would be nice. Instead of, what's it going to take? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they should be called the children of God, Matthew 5, 9. You see, let peace be the controlling factor in forgiving. Not at the expense of truth, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the expense of our pride. If the choice is between my pride holding on and there being peace in a congregation, brethren, sacrifice the pride, not the peace. Congregational harmony should be more important to you, that is, in your heart, that's the point here, than any personal desire. You need to desire unity in the congregation. That's the point of one body. We have to remember that we're all part of a whole. We're recipients of Christ's love, Ephesians 5, 22 through 33. And we have what is most important in common. That's what we tend to forget. Common salvation, Jude 3. Common faith, 2 Peter 1, verse 1. We have one Lord, one faith, one baptism one God. You go back to verse 4, the one body, one spirit, even as you're called one hope of your calling. These are the things we have in common. Don't let little things get in the way. And so when we do this, when we fail to forgive, it shows we're not really thankful. He is positively saying you need to be thankful for what you have. And the context is you have and hold a place in the one body. Are you thankful for it? You have opportunity for peace with God and with your fellow man in the church. Are you thankful for that? And if you are, act that way. Be thankful for one another. Start praying for one another, brethren, and give thanks. Be thankful for what brought you together. Be thankful for your calling in Christ. Because you cannot possibly sing, notice verse 16. The next verse, we look at it all the time. You cannot possibly sing with grace in your hearts to the Lord if you do not act with grace in your hearts toward your brethren. I know you didn't see that before. I hope you never forget it now. That's all related here. In 1 John 4, verses 20 and 21, John says that a man should never, never make the claim that he can love God if he doesn't love his brother. 
How is it possible for a man to love God whom he's not seen when he doesn't love his brother whom he has seen? You see, it's easy to say, forgive one another. It is not always easy to do it. And we shouldn't act like it is. If we act like it's easy, we forget all the things we've talked about tonight that are very, very hard. They're hard in the heart. And they're essential to keep away a hard heart. So if we'll prepare our hearts with a willingness to forgive, if we will remember our own need for forgiveness, and then we will forgive as Christ has forgiven us, we will have a lasting peace. We will have harmony. We will have unity as the body of Christ. As we seek everything according to his will, that his word is the standard. Forgiving one another is hard only when we put our own carnal feelings and desires above the welfare of the spiritual body of Christ. We need to be a forgiving people. If we do these things, people will know it. We will know it. And God will know it. We all need forgiveness. That's why Jesus came in the first place. He died for us because all men have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans chapter 3, verse 23. Jesus came bringing a message of the gospel because we all need the gospel. And we need the message that God alone could provide, Romans 10, verse 17. But we have to turn to him in trust and in faith. John 8, verse 24. And repentance. God does not let us hold on to our sins. And by the way, that includes the sin of failing to forgive. He doesn't let us hold on to that. We've got to let go and repent, Acts 17, 30. We've got to confess our need as well as confessing who Jesus is as Lord, Romans 10, 9 and 10. And we must be baptized for the remission of our sins. Remember, forgiveness, God wants it for you so much that he gave Jesus on the cross so you could have it. But you still have to do what he says to come to him. God is reaching out with as much favor and grace as his holiness allows. Our repentance and obedience is necessary to reach back to where he is and meet him. It may be that you've done these things. You're a Christian. If so, I imagine you have at some point in your life Experience the problem we've been talking about tonight. You know how hard it is to forgive. I hope you appreciate how hard it is to be forgiven. And I hope that you tonight are committed to seeking both so that there can be unity in the body, there can be unity with God, 
and there could be a restoration, not just of hurt feelings, but of souls, of Christ's body, in appreciation for Christ's blood, as we forgive as Christ forgave. If you're subject to the invitation, won't you please come while we stand and sing?